the hole in the sky when you hear that story i first heard it and it was uh the children you know, were giving the story about the hole in the sky there was a hole in the sky and the lady when she went up to live in the sky world and then at one point she was digging for roots in the sky world and she dug through too deep and she saw made a hole and she looked through that hole and she saw earth and she realized that's where she came from her mission was to get back down there but when we when we're talking about the depth of knowledge in regard to that is that when they're talking about hole in the sky they're talking about a spatial anomaly they're talking about a wormhole they're talking about an alternate reality they're talking talking about quantum theory and there's alternate realities up there and our people believe that when we dream we connect to that hole in the sky so our dreams are give us glimpses of infinite possibilities and sometimes those possibilities come true in front of our eyes Greetings to my relatives. My name is uh, Wilford Buck, also known as uh, the Dreamkeeper. I'm originally from the Waskayakri Nation in north central Manitoba on the banks of the Saskatchewan River. I reside in Winnipeg now. I am a retired uh, educator. I had uh, taught for approximately 25 years, and I'd been a science consultant with the Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Center for 15 years. Presently, I am a freelance uh, consultant, science consultant, addictions consultant, cultural consultant. I'm a star knowledge keeper. I'm an author. I'm a uh, Sundance chief. I'm a knowledge keeper. And uh, some people say I'm a mad scientist. I uh, got introduced to my culture when I was probably about about 16, I guess. I was in Vancouver at the time, and uh, I heard people talking about the American Indian movement. So I, I, I uh, heard about that, and I was interested in that, because I liked what they had to say and what they were doing. And then when I went back home to the PAW, the Boscarokee Nation, I got there just in time that a group of, uh, of the youth that I knew went down to Ottawa, and when they came back, they bought a big drum back. And so we, we started a power group, and then we started getting reintroduced to our culture because up to that point, our culture for us just mainly uh, centered around fishing and hunting and living off the land, and there was no, uh, it, it seemed like there was no spiritual connection other than uh, the uh, Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church. And then when we got exposed to that part of the culture, we a lot of us really uh, hooked onto that, and we wanted to learn more. So we started going to ceremony, we started learning the songs, and uh, through that process, I uh, I always wondered about the sky, and a couple times I got lost in the bush, and uh, like, like I mean totally lost in the bush in the northern boreal forest. So if it wasn't for the sky, I would be still wandering around there, or be uh, I'd be food food for the worms. And anyways. That's what connected me to the sky in a, in a most profound way. And then I came across this story, and this story was about the Big Dipper. 
And it was from my people's perspective, it was from the Cree perspective in Enyo. The story came from a man called Murdo Scribe, which was an elder from Kineseo CUP. Kineseo CUP translates to a fish river, which is equatable to the community of Norway House and the northern tip of Lake Winnipeg. This elder told a story about the Big Dipper, and that's the first time I ever heard the story about the stars from a Cree perspective, from any other perspective other than Roman Greek. Because going to school, that's all I heard about was Roman Greek. And I assumed, since nobody else told me anything else, that the only people that knew about the sky were Roman and Greeks. And that, that intrigued me when I heard that story. And it got me thinking, well, if they knew about that star, they must know about the other stars because they're above us all the time. But I never actually actively pursued it until I got my uh, master's degree and post-bac in education from the University of Manitoba. And I started uh, teaching. And the thing about teaching in the Winnipeg School of Mission 1 was me being a native. As soon as I went to a school, I was, I was instantly the uh, indigenous uh, consultant expert. And everything indigenous I, I was asked, that I was looked, at, looked, looked to as an expert. I started uh, going to ceremony. And I started asking about knowledge, and then I started putting a lot of these, uh, a lot of the knowledge into, into my, my science classroom because I, I taught at high school level, 10, 11, 12, I taught science and math. So I started putting a lot of these uh, concepts to use in, uh, in the physics classes. And uh, from there, of course, pe people really started uh, relying on me to be uh, the so-called expert. So this is what I did, and I, 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 I incorporated Matutsan, the sweat lodge, the ceremony, and fasting, all these things, and uh, what I was doing. Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Center, just out of the blue one day, I was teaching at a, uh, with uh, South Winnipeg Technical College. They asked me if I wanted to work for Manitoba. I'd be the science facilitator, and my job would, would, would be to put First Nation perspective into sciences. And I said, hmm, that sounds pretty interesting. And so I went to uh, work with MF Merck, and my job was to uh, put First, first Nation per perspective in science and math. One of the first things I did is I attended ceremony, and I asked uh, the elders how, how I could go about this. He said, one way you can look at it is the way you've been looking at it. Is you've been educated from a Western perspective. And so you're using that Western perspective and you're, you're applying, you're taking pieces up from our culture and you're sticking into this, uh, into this little curriculum that they have. And uh, they like it. So that's the way you can do it. You can go on doing it like that. But there's another way you can do it. And the other way is you have a base of knowledge that's thousands and thousands of years, years old, that's tried and tested and true for thousands and thousands of years. Now, if you understand that culture, if you understand those ceremonies, if you understand those uh, that language, if you understand the, uh, the the concepts and the worldview of your people, then you can use that as your base of knowledge, and you can take any one of those subject areas and stick them anywhere you want. I said, "Hey, that's pretty cool. I can do that." So that's what I did. And as a parting gift, he said to me, "The easiest way to get students involved in science." Get their, make, make sure that they get their hands in there. Make sure they're involved. And take them outside at night and make them look up, look, look up at the sky. That's, that's how it worked out. And that things just seemed to fall into place because I was, I was uh, teaching one day and uh, I got a call from one of my coworkers. He was down in uh, Austin, Texas. He was at an international science conference. And he sent me a picture back. He said, uh, 
I got a couple of pictures for you. Look at this. And he showed me this picture of an inflatable dome. And inside the inflatable dome was a projector. And it could project the sky. And he said, hey, you could probably use this when you go to the schools. They call the portable planetarium. You could take it around to the schools. And you can show them the sky. It doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime or wintertime or summertime. You can show them the sky anytime they want. I said, hey, that's cool. And I could I could use uh, some of the stories that I'd got from our perspective and stick them in that in that projector and uh, show them their own understanding of the sky, our people's own understanding of, of uh, the sky, which was their history, their their educational base, their knowledge, their basic heritage. And so that's what I did. I go isolated schools, places like Lac Boucher, Boucher, uh, Tadouli Lake, uh, places like Fox Lake. I used to fly into these communities and I used to take the planetarium in there. And I used to show the kids these uh, stars, the stars from a different perspective other than Roman Greeks. And they were totally blown away. And I, it got so much that uh, they, they gave me a name. They called me Star Guy. Hey, there's the Star Guy. Once they did that, I knew I, I was accepted because in, in the communities, if they like you, they'll give you a nickname. That was my nickname. And they remembered me. And I knew I was doing something. And even the elders told me, they said, you know, when you start this journey, what you're doing, you, you got to keep doing because this is the history of the, of the, of the, of the, our students. This is our youth. They're not being taught this in school. And they got to understand. They got to be proud of their heritage. They got to understand their history, their educational system, their sky, their, their, their whole world. They got to understand that. And if not being taught in the school and you're teaching them, then you got to continue doing it. And if it was meant to be, then you, you, you can do it. Things will be put in your place. You people will be put in, in front of you, and, and you won't have to work hard to get this done. But if you're not meant to do it, then you're only going to have a really hard time. And all these stories. I started with one story, and that was the story from Guinness from uh, Murdo Scribe. And to date, I got probably about maybe 40 stories, 40 sacred tellings about the sky, and it's an ongoing process because a lot of these, uh, a lot of these. Uh, Stories, uh, these uh, sacred tellings are deeply enrooted, connected with the ceremony. And so I'm a ceremonial person. I attend ceremonies. And I look at that night sky all the time as much as I can. So I went to this place. It's called Munaskewan outside of uh, Saskatoon. It's a cultural heritage site. And it's fairly sacred. There's a buffalo jump there. There's a... Uh, medicine wheels and there's sweat old sweat lodges and fasting areas and anyways we, we were out there at night in a, a late September night on the northern plains looking up at the sky and it was dark and we could see stars we could see thousands and thousands of stars and uh, that elder by the name of Stan Goodwill he said to me you see all those stars up in the sky every one of those stars you can see with the naked eye are people had a, a constellation. There was a name. There was a story. Every star, every planet up there had a name. And, they were, and we, we were cognizant of these names and how they applied to who we are. As you name Niaho. People. Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, Sixtika. All these things. And uh, due to the historical trauma that happened to our people, we lost anywhere from 70 to 85% of that knowledge base. So right now we're up in at a 15% knowledge base. One of the elders told me, if you had a village of 100 people, 
And everybody in that village knew one word to a hundred word song. And when all that village got together, you could recite that hundred word song because everybody had a part to play. And that was the total knowledge base of your people, that hundred word song. And everybody got together and everybody recited that knowledge. One morning you wake up and 85 of them are gone. You have 15 left. And then you're trying to put together that knowledge that was there. That's what happened to our people due to historical trauma, with, the, with, with colonization, with the oppression, with residential schools, with the 60 schools, with the child welfare system, with all these things, with the pandemics, with all these things that happened to our people. We lost that knowledge base. And he said, the way we came to knowledge, there was one sharp divide from Western thought and indigenous thought, and that is achak. Achak is spirit. Ours is a spiritual knowledge base. Everything is spirit. When we say spirit, there's a term that, that uh, we use, it's called kisiguogak, kisiguogak. The root word for that kisiguogak is kisigao. Kisigao is that light of day. When that sun is shining, that light that's emanating from that, that sun is shining, and that's kisigao, that's the light of day. So kisiguogak, the root word is kisigao, which is that light of day. So kisiguogak can be transferred, translated as the uh, beings of light, beings of energy, beings of spirit. And they're all, all in one. Energy, light, spirit, it's all the same. You can't separate those things, they're all the same. In, in Western thought, spirit is something uh, mystical, something uh, spirit, something uh, superstitious. And, and they separate those things and they can't be separated. And our pe my people understand that, that they can't be separated. Is the beings of light, beings of energy, beings of spirit, and these things, these things are uh, are, are the energy force, because we understand that everything is energy. Everything is energy, and we are energy, and that's how we're connected to everything because we're energy. And when when they when they talk about that, and when we come to this place, we come to this place to visit Mutaiski, this earth. We come through that hole in the sky, and we come down here, and we come to visit. We spend a little time here and then we go back up. So we come here as energy. And then when we come down to earth, we take a physical form. And then we finish our visit here, we return back to energy and continue our journey in, in, the, in the multiple realities up there through that hole in the sky. So right there, they're talking about what they're referring to is particle theory. Energy it can neither be created nor destroyed, it just changes form. And, uh, and we understand that energy has to flow. The, the whole purpose of Matutsan, that sweat lodge, is the flow of energy. It's particle theory right in action by itself. It's, it's there in Matutsan, the sweat lodge. And the way we have come to knowledge, we had a different methodological system than uh, the scientific methodology that is practiced. That's sharp uh, differentiation is spirit, atzak. And the elder told me that that 85% of knowledge base, I shouldn't say it's lost, it's sleeping, he said. Because the way we came to knowledge was we used prior knowledge. We understood that. We, we did experiments. We understood that. We observed. We understood that. So these were dissimilar to what the Western thought says. And where it separates is, 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 is in regard to spirit. Another form of our methodological process is poamiak. Poamiak are dreams. Dreams are very important to my people. Dreams aren't separate from our reality. They are a part of our reality. Dreams shape our reality. 
a, a person like Einstein dreamt, and what he dreamt about, he, he put he put it into practice, and it became our reality. So dreams can become reality, and our people dreamed, and I under people knew this, and that was part of our methodological system, was to dream and to understand those dreams, because those dreams give us hope, they give us direction, they give us guidance, they give us healing, they give us understanding, they give us all these things. So that's part of the methodological process that we use. And another one is fasting. Ceremony is part of that, that process, that methodological process, separating ourselves from, from the busy world, isolating ourselves and reconnecting to attack that spirit of, of, of the earth, the spirit of, of the land, the spirit of the universe, that energy, reconnecting to that energy. So there's, there's processes that we use and uh, the methodological processes that we use was how we came to knowledge. So that that 100% knowledge base we had prior to Europeans, that was how we gained our knowledge. We did all these things. We sundanced, we fasted, we sweat lodged, we went to ceremony, we, we traveled, we shared, and we traveled, and we talked, and we sat around the fire and teaching lodges, and we shared, and we, uh, we dreamt, we had visions. The elder said, don't be dis- discouraged about that 85% because we can still regain that knowledge, we can still wake it up. Because right now the youth are going back to the going back to education. They're going to education, and in that education, they're finding a different perspective. They're finding the inanimate way. They're finding that way, and they're using those not those methodological processes and regaining that knowledge, waking that knowledge that was asleep. They're fasting. They're sun dancing. They're they're going to university. They're doing all these things, and that knowledge is is there for them. So it's regainable. So that's what's happening right now, that process of uh, regaining our knowledge and understanding that methodological process. The, the elder said that that's how we'll regain that knowledge. It's there and it's waiting for us. To learn more about Indigenous perspectives of the sky, check out issue 5 of the Root and Stem magazine at pingwa.com. Also, you can find Wilfred Buck's autobiography, I Have Lived Four Lives, at arpbooks.org.